welcome to the Top Order podcast, a self-imposed time limit of 40 minutes for tonight's pod, which does mean we'll probably talk for at least an hour and 30. We're going to talk England, Pakistan, Australia, West Indies and the series kicking off on Saturday against South Africa. David Warner's leadership band saga continues. A little bit of New Zealand stuff as well with the Black Cat squad announced tomorrow. So we'll predict who's hot and who's not. All coming up on the Top Order podcast. Stay tuned. Well, boys, we're here again. We're going to talk another basball test. We're going to talk um, Australia giving West Indies a little bit of a touch-up in Adelaide with the pink ball. And we'll also talk a little bit about some stuff off the field in Australian cricket as well as New Zealand. Um, we're going to start, I think, uh, according to the running sheets with England-Pakistan. Um, so, guys, I, I guess I've got to hand over to you again. I know I've prepped you with my one unanswerable question haven't I but yeah your thoughts on um, Basball Mark 2 in Multan don't all go at once uh, it, look it just continues to entertain doesn't it I mean how can you not like test cricket played in this in this fashion played in this spirit I mean it's absolutely brilliant let's let's put aside Pakistan collapsing uh, not once but twice on a reasonably good batting pitch um, and the incredible debut of um, he's got so many nicknames. I don't, I don't want to go into nicknames. Abra Ahmed, we'll, we'll get into, we'll get into nicknames later on and we will try and avoid those cliches if we can, but what a fantastic debut for him, but also an incredible performance again for England piling on the runs this time, what 281 inside the first 50 overs of the test. There were 190,000 for six at, at lunch on the first day. Um, I think that was, that could also possibly be second most, runs scored before lunch on the first day of a test match ever. I mean, the, the records continue to tumble for this England side. And it's just fantastic to watch them play cricket. And, you know, even when they get bowled out inside the first 50 overs on the first day, they've put themselves in a, uh, in with an opportunity to win the test match. So, you know, kudos and hats off to England, I say, for uh, continuing to play in a positive fashion. Oh, it's, it's staggering what they're doing. And um, uh, Binksy, I reckon you should ask us that question now because I actually think that's a really good way to sort of open up the show and, and have a wider discussion about this England team because, you know, I honestly think that, like, I think I said to, to you last week, the way that they're playing is amazing. They've now won eight tests from nine. They, you know, I guess every test has also been close just about uh, in, in this series as well. The, they're... It sort of happened in the, in the New Zealand series. A couple of innings defeats, or a couple of innings defeats in the South Africa one, one against and one four. But yeah, a lot of the games are proving very entertaining. But the wider perspective of what they're doing, is it sustainable, is the question that everyone keeps asking. Yeah, look, absolutely. I got involved in a couple of long debates on it. Uh, look, I, I guess I'm sure we'll go into it. But, um, you know, I think I looked at a couple of things. I thought... Um, when we were in that sort of second innings and, and sort of setting up the declaration or, you know, in a position where we were going to set up the declaration, we, you know, we did have a, a, a pretty monumental collapse, really, um, if you kind of look at it from, I don't know what it was, uh, five for 150 and then ended up 270-odd all out. Uh, I think at one stage, Ben Stokes at a six to go level with Brendan McCullum um, in terms of most sixes in Test cricket. Um, it looked as if from the footage at that point, he knew that that was a record that he'd just equaled and he kind of looked up and seemed to sort of suggest that, you know, he'd, he'd gone level with his coach and then almost immediately tried to go for the, you know, the, the record breaking six and hold out. And then Harry Brook did the same. And, uh, you know, as a, as a guy that's, you know, watched test cricket since the nineties, I was sitting there going, just bat for an hour here, guys, and, and you bat them out of the game, you get a 400, 420 lead and there's no way that they win the game. Um, you know, with the history books behind you of, you know, a, a chase of over 400. And in the end, it was pretty, pretty tight. So, you know, I'll, I'll summarise it into, you know, a couple of sentences. Um, I, I, in the aftermath of this, I said, look, it's to one of my friends, it's great to watch for sure. I just think you can still be aggressive and still play the game situation at certain points. Um, and probably the best summary of that is um, my mate replied to me, that's my point. When do you judge the game situation to require some circumspect? You know, would Johnny Bairstow have been able to do that in the summer if he'd have been given a, a set of instructions that were play the situation? So, yeah, how sustainable is it? And I, I think it's easier with the ball 
um, because you're out there with a team, you're out there with a captain who tells you what the plan is. And if you don't execute it, you get hooked as a bowler. Um, but, you know, from a batting perspective, can you be in a mindset of be ultra aggressive and then go, well, actually, now's the time just to, you know, go down the gears and bat at a runner ball and put yourself in an unassailable lead? So I don't know the answer to that question, but it's certainly the one uh, going around in my head in terms of, uh, yeah, just making sure you capitalise on the aggression that you might show in the first innings, I suppose. Can I just ask, does anyone know what Brendan McCallum's role Ben Stokes's record is as captain and coach. Brendan McCallum, eight out of nine games, eight, eight yeah. out of nine yes. wins. I feel like that's fairly sustainable. It's it's a good strike rate, in my opinion. Um, the, the, the way I've kind, of, yeah, that's, that's the the way yeah, I've well kind of looked at it is I've I've taken a bit of a Ted Lasso kind of approach to it, and they've actually simplified it to they don't want to kiss their sister. If you know what I mean? They've taken the draw completely out of the equation. Uh, I mean, I remember we, we had these conversations, you know, when uh, a couple of years back when when England were probably, we were quite critical of them playing draw first cricket. You know, they wanted to make sure they get through that fifth day. They've got that option to to draw if they, um, if they don't win or they don't chase in the fourth innings, for example, a couple of things like that. But mm. if you actually take the mm. draw out of the equation and look at, you know, consider anything less than a win, a loss, it actually makes your plan really quite simple. You've got to win, and to win, you just keep keep moving forward, and that's how England have been playing their cricket, and it's actually quite an irresistible force uh, to watch. You love watching it, and it's actually hard to play against it because you almost need to fight fire with fire to actually try and come out on top with that. Um, so, yeah, I think it is definitely something that could be sustainable. Adam, as an England fan, are you, are you prepared to to have a look at a like? Are you prepared to look at a scorecard that says two eighty one all out, fifty one overs on the first day, highest score sixty three? So, you know, I'm looking at the scorecard here: one, two, three, four, five, six batters got past nineteen. Um, Zach Crawley being the one who who made nineteen, so you have got six batters there who effectively got starts in that game, and only one of them goes past sixty three. None none of them go on and get a hundred. Now. In the last test match, four of them went on and got 100 inside the first day and it was, you know, hurrah, tickety-boo, we're 500 for four. Are you prepared to take the good being 500 for four in, in a day's cricket with the bad, in inverted commas, all out 280 on the first day with higher score being 63 at this point? The first innings isn't really sort of my my my, uh, my, my concern, I suppose. Um so look, absolutely. If they go out and try and score at you know somewhere around you know, I mean, it's ridiculous to talk about really. Um, five and six and over in Test cricket is kind of pretty much unheard of, right? So I, I don't mind them setting up in that first innings. I, I, I guess for me that it's the second innings that was the one where I was um, kind of you know you're six for two hundred and fifty um, at that point, you know, a pretty decent lead, and then you essentially lose nineteen for five. Um, when if you'd have lost 59 for five, the game was almost unlosable. Um, so that, you know, that 19 for five, and we talked about it in the first test match. Um, they had to do that. And I've come round 100% on that first test match. They took so much time or gave so much time back into the game. And, you know, we won with eight minutes to spare or whatever. Um, that the number keeps going down, you know, the further away we get from the game, it'll be down to the final ball by the time we're discussing this in uh, at Christmas time. But it, it is that fact that that was on the third day. There was, you know, there was still two and a half days. There was no chance there wasn't going to be a result, but they gave them a, a, a minute chance of Pakistan winning that game. And I think that that's the, you know, that's the ultimate question I've got. I still think there is room to absolutely put the foot on the throat and, um, when dangling the carrot is not what's necessary, this was about having plenty of time to bowl Pakistan out twice. This was about making it impossible for Pakistan to chase the runs. Um, so I felt they, you know, they missed that, uh, missed that opportunity. But you know, it, that's in the context of being hypercritical. It's always better to be doing a retro of a successful project and saying, you know, what could we have done a little bit better, rather than, oh shit, how do we correct everything that went wrong? So I. I I'm super positive. I hope they can continue. If we have a 90% win ratio under Stokes and McCullum and they do the, 
the normal four-year cycle of a coach-captain combo, then happy days. We've won the World Test Championship. Um, they'll both be Sir. Um, you know, McCullum will make it onto cricket in New Zealand, Mount Rushmore now when he didn't make it on before, um, albeit for his exploits with England. Um, and everybody will be really, really happy. Um, I, I, I just want, I hope it's sustainable. Um, I just, I, yeah, I still got a question as to whether it is or not. I think the, I mean, the points you make and, and um, that Raj make bef- made before really around, um, I think you've got to trust these guys now. They've they've done it. Like eight, nine tests is actually a sample size. I feel that's actually enough now, you know, and they've gone about it in a way that, like you say, they could improve in so many aspects of particularly their batting. Um, I know that uh, I sort of made fun of them at, at one point in that second innings because they were only going at four and over. And uh, on, on the other channels, Australia was smashing it, setting up a total against the West Indies and Bangladesh or India was, you know, on target for 500 at one point against Bangladesh in that ODI. And and I think England, yeah, the way they've gone about things, they've definitely earned the right to say, we can do this. I, I actually, um, this podcast will probably come out before, but I talked to Cam Fletcher last night uh, and around, because he was there when over on that squad for the Black Caps. And he, we talked a little bit about England and kind of how this setup's sort of style of cricket first came about. And something he mentioned that, um, same as you guys have talked about, and that there's, you know, cricket traditionally is sort of played at a slower pace. But what England's doing is that they're, they're taking games away from teams in, in an hour, in a session. He mentioned yesterday that, uh, you know, traditionally you'd think, okay, well, we can let a team bat for one or two sessions and have a big partnership and then kind of get ourselves back in the game. If England bats for a session with a partnership going, the game's almost not out of your hands because we saw it in both of these two tests that Pakistan was able to get back into winning positions. But, yeah, the speed at which they're doing things means that when they're in those good moments, they can just, yeah, advance the game so much. And, yeah, I think they'll be learning from it. I mean, yeah, that they, they've shown great stuff so far. Raj, yeah, I just have a, I have a question for Baldy because he's a little bit of a... A little bit of a. <laughs> I won't finish that sentence. A little bit. I was going to say a little bit impartial, but it is actually an Ashes question. Um, if England go in and they they win what twenty their next twenty tests playing this style of cricket, uh, but then they then they then they lose the Ashes three two. Mm. Does that does that does that kind of what I'm trying to say is is that series going to define? how successful this style of play has been for English cricket over the next, what, four years or whatever it is? I think in the eyes of the English media and in a lot of their fans, absolutely it will. Uh, If England play swashbuckling cricket all the way up to the Ashes and win eight, nine, ten, eleven tests in a row and then lose the Ashes 3-2, I think there will be people in the English media that will come after the English cricket team. But you, you have to... If you're going to have this approach, and I think we all agree that this is a great approach for England um, and for anybody, not just for England, but for anyone to, to, to attack test cricket in this way and, and try and shape the game this way, you have to be prepared that at some point you are going to lose a match or two, right? You, you're just going to run into a, a, a trot, a run of not all you guys are going to make runs at one time. The opposition will get the better of you. You might get one or two wickets that favour the bowling slightly and bish, bash, bosh all of a sudden you might have lost a couple of test matches. So you have to take the good with the bad, right? You, you, can't, you, can't, um, you can't sit there and watch as a fan and go, isn't this fantastic? But, oh, by the way, when you get to the Ashes, you have to play it differently. Um, you have to be prepared to lose the Ashes 3-2 to win it 3-2. So I think that's a fantastic attitude for England to take into it, but it's not going to make them immune from the red top press in particular, but, but some other English... Um, journalists and, and members of the media will, will come after England if they end up losing the Ashes in what they will term an unnecessarily risky or cavalier fashion. Can we can we talk about a couple of the in individuals in this game now, unless anyone's got anything more general to say? But Binksy, I know you've um, you've mentioned quite a bit. You've given uh, Harry Brook quite a few props, but I mean. Uh, if Scott Boland is the, the best bowler in the world and in, in the small sample size theatre, Harry Brook must be just about fairly close to the best batter in the world at the moment, the way he's going. H- have you got anything new you can add about 
how good he's going at the moment? Uh, look, I, I can't talk about how good he's going with the bat at the moment. I think the thing that um, really, really impressed me is actually the media that he did um, after that 100. You know, he's relatively inexperienced in terms of probably doing that. And the way he spoke with just such honesty about what he wanted to do, what his game plan was, how he wanted to put pressure on people, how that's what how he's been playing his cricket for his county, Yorkshire, um, and how he felt, you know, he can dominate um, particularly the spinners. I, I just thought the way he spoke about that was was superb. Um, you know, kind of giving himself room outside leg stump. They're trying to pitch the ball in the rough outside leg stump and he's going inside out over extra cover and making it look like it's the easiest thing in the world. Um, look, I don't want to get too carried away because, you know, there'll be analysts all over his technique now and uh, looking at where he's going to be vulnerable. And, you know, we, we saw a little bit of that we talked about it with Devin Conway after that, you know, break breakout season for him. And, um, you know, and that's just one example. There's, there's multiple examples of that um, in terms of particularly when teams get a second look at you or a look at you on their home soil for a second time. But so far, he looks absolutely the business. You know, you, you, you can sort of almost pencil him in for a, a 10-year test career, um, particularly if he gets to play in that exciting fashion and, uh, you know, doesn't need to go and chase the Yankee dollar. Binksy, does that create a selection headache for England now? Because if if Johnny Besto comes back from his unfortunate golfing accident, and you'd think he'd be a lock for that middle order as well, does that put um, does that put ben either Fokes. Ollie Pope? Well, that, yeah, that that was going to be my question. Does that put Ben Folks on the outer all of a sudden? Because Ollie Pope's worn the gloves here. Bairstow's worn the gloves in the past. One of them could potentially take the gloves for England in the short to medium term. Do you think Ben Folks is now all of a sudden on the outer, given how successful this middle order has been with, you know, Pope, Root, Brooks, Stokes, three, four, five, six? There's got to be room for YJB in there somewhere, you'd think. Yeah, look, I, I don't think um, you can leave Johnny Bairstow out of a side if he's fit. Um, and, and firing on all cylinders, he, he comes straight back in. He was unlucky to lose the gloves when he lost the gloves to Joss Butler, going back, what, probably a couple of years or so now. Um, and then Ben Folks has obviously come in and, you know, Ben Folks himself has had a couple of unfortunate injuries and, and illnesses, slipped on his socks um, and did a hamstring, missed a game for COVID, missed a game with, you know, a, a bit of a stomach upset or this bug that was going around. But, you know, ultimately, I think I, I, I bet he was wishing he could have put on an adult nappy and gone out and kept wicket in that first test match. Um, because I, I, I don't see how, with the rhetoric that the English team have put around, you know, Stokes has been pretty open and said, we're going to go out and try and win every test match and we're going to pick the best side to win every test match. I don't see how conditions in Karachi are going to be too dissimilar to what we've already seen on this tour. So... Unless, you know, you've got some heavy legs with, you know, with your seamers and you decide to, you know, to rest a couple of them up and go in with, you know, uh, an Overton, for example, um, the balance of the side needs to remain the same. So I, I struggle to see how they would go with folks as the, the person that's going to win them that test match. And then we get to an English uh, or we get to a New Zealand. Um, and I think Bairstow said he should be fit for New Zealand um, with, with a bit of luck. Um, then, you know, again, if it gives you the opportunity to to get an extra bowler in the side uh, with a guy that actually, and I think Bairstow would be the one that would take the gloves. I think he's a better keeper than than Ollie Pope. Um, so yeah, as much as I hate to say it as a wicketkeeper, I, I don't see any other option. And I think it'd be the right option if that's the route that they um, the route that they go down. I was going to say, the, the, am I hearing you say that uh, wicketkeeper is now a speed bump with gloves? It is now that's now an option. How was Ollie Pope's keeping in this series so far? Um, look, he's taken a couple of clutch chances, hasn't he? Um, in that, well, that that's questionable. Well, well, I'm just looking at the scorecard. I'm pretty sure it says. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just checking. Hold on. Yeah, caught Pope. Yes. Okay. So yeah, um, <laughs> definitely still still out. Um, look, he has taken a couple of you know a couple of catches in the last test. He took a really good one down the leg side. Um, he's missed three or four chances, let's be honest. Um, and one of those, you know, he left to go in between himself and Joe at a slip, uh, dropped a diving chance down the leg side, uh, dropped a nick standing up, uh, missed a stumping in this series. 
you would have thought that folks would have probably converted all of those chances based on his pedigree. So uh, then you kind of balance up, you know, what Pope gives you with the bat. Obviously a fantastic 100 in that first test match, um, a useful 60-odd in this game. Um, so, so, look, we're going to go around that debate all, all the time, aren't we? If, if a keeper drops a catch and a guy goes on to get 100, does that cost you 100 versus what he gives you with the bat? You know, we can have that debate over and over again. Um, Pope is not a test match wicketkeeper. He's got away with it, I think, in two test matches here. He, he may well get away with it in a third one as well. But would I want to see him lining up with the ball wobbling around all over the place at Lords in, in June? Uh, absolutely not. We uh, we touched on it just a little bit there, and, and Raj, you love a bit of controversy. Is uh, any thoughts on that Shaquille catch? You've you've, you've caught, caught caught me out here. I have not seen much of this test, the uh, the Pakistan England one, unfortunately. Tell me about it. Oh, oh well, yeah, I, I don't know, Baldy. You want to run us through uh, your thoughts? You're you're also an umpiring uh, aficionado. The the soft signal. You did oh, message dear. me. You were messaging me about it last night. I don't know if I'd be described by anybody as an umpiring aficionado, particularly the umpires that I know would not describe me as an umpiring <laughs> aficionado by any stretch of the imagination. Um, int- the, the, the soft signal will come under review at some point. So the, I think the IPL has already abandoned the, the idea of the soft signal and allowed the third umpire to just make a decision. Um, they have in test cricket as well, by the way. They still just give the signal, but the umpire now has the ability to make the best decision in the, right. in the third umpire's chair. Well, that, that, that's, probably, that's probably to the good, right? Because it gives the, it gives the third umpire the, the impetus to make a decision, right? He can't just go, well, I don't know. I'm not really sure. If, the, if he's asked to make a decision, he's got to make a decision, right? I think that's, I think that's probably a good thing. Um, with respect to the two catches that are in question in this test match, because I think Joe Root was caught down the, uh, down the leg side by a great – it was a fantastic catch um, at, 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 by the bat pad, anticipating a sweep shot, going to his right behind square and then having to come back to his left to take a grab with one hand. Um, the question will always be asked um, – whether or not the fingers were under the ball and whether or not the ball touched the ground. And from 75 metres away at an angle of, you know, one or two degrees, it's very, very difficult for a two-dimensional picture to be able to give us conclusive evidence of why or why not. Um, you know, the the difference between the two catches, I think, is that in the, um, in the Ollie Pope incident, his gloves were kind of facing down. So the question is, did he get enough of his gloves under the, under the ball? Um, I, I move my microphone as I try and uh, mimic the movement. Um, versus did versus did the um, Pakistan fielder at short leg have enough of a gap between his fingers that the ball in between his hand touched the ground? I and mean, these are all unanswerable questions, right? We don't actually know. We don't really know. Um, and the evidence that was supplied um, to the third umpire didn't give him conclusive evidence that um, the catch wasn't taken. And so, therefore, the decision, you know, was was made by the third umpire. So, very, very difficult to tell in a lot of those circumstances to be conclusive as to whether or not the ball, um, you know, scraped some blade of grass somewhere. Um, and I don't think we need to go down the football route and have a, a, a tracker in the ball that goes beep every time the ball touches the ground. I don't think that's necessary. Um, so play on, in my view. If, if the umpires are satisfied that the catch was taken um, and there's no conclusive evidence to show that it definitely wasn't taken, i.e. it bounced clearly before the gloves, <clears throat> then play on. That's cricket. That's life. Unfortunately, you're going to get some. You're going to get some that, that, that aren't going to go your way as well. It's difficult for me to be impartial because obviously it was in England. We could keep it taking a catch. Um, but my two cents on this is there's a couple of things. Unhelpfully, Ollie Pope had got some tape on one of his uh, uh, one of the fingers of his gloves that was like a dark pink colour. It was like an elastoplast colour. And I think certainly on one or two of the replays, you were seeing that and it was a, it looked like a dark thing that was kind of touching the, touching the grass. So you couldn't tell whether that was the ball or uh, I think it was the ring finger of his glove that he got taped up. The second thing I'd say as a, as, as a keeper is at full speed, it, it, it just looked out. It looked as if he'd just about timed the dive perfectly to scoop the ball up and, and it looked very, very clean full speed. 
when you've watched 27 replays of it, I think you can kind of convince yourself. Not dissimilar to the short leg catch that you mentioned, Baldy. I mean, that that for me was just stone cold out. There was no there was no question. But the more replays you watch, the more you were like, oh, actually, has he has that carried? Um, and and the answer was it it had. Um, so I think we're always going to have this yeah this problem. Um, I'm with you though, Baldy. I think on your comments that they, they should actually get rid of the soft signal. I think um, and just say to the the guy with the technology, you make the call um, if we're going to refer it up. Um, we don't want to give you a prejudice that, you know, we think it's carried or we think it hasn't. Um, you just use the technology to make the decision in the way that you see fit. Um, and that would have been Joel Wilson's job on the day. Can we, um, but we probably do have to move on. And, and yeah, maybe we, we can move to move to New Zealand in, in the sense that, you know, we're heading to Pakistan. In a hang on, just before, hang on, just before, Stu, Stu, Stu. Ahmed. Yeah, yeah before we do, before we do, yeah. let's, let's just talk about, on debut, Abra Ahmed, Crawley, Bold Ahmed, Duckett, LBW Ahmed, Pope, Cord Shafiq, Bold Ahmed, Root, LBW Ahmed, uh, Brook, Court, Bold Ahmed, Stokes, Bold Ahmed, Will Jacks, LBW, Abra Ahmed. Seven for 114 on debut. Now, they got uh, they picked, um, I think it was Zahid Mahmood to play in the first test ahead of Abra very controversial, their club or, or first-class teammates. And if you have a look at Abra Ahmed's first-class record, I mean, it's amazing. And there's some – actually, we'll, we'll get on to Sol Shaquille because he's got an amazing first-class record as well. But um, where have they been hiding Abra Ahmed in the Pakistan system for all this time? Um, just an incredible debut. And then got four from the second innings, uh, 11 for on debut. I mean, this is stuff that, that dreams are made of, right? This is an unbelievable debut. He was on for 10 for – on debut until Zahid Mahmood pooed on his party, but just an absolutely incredible performance from the leg spin slash mystery spinner. Oh, mate, it was so good. Uh, I was, uh, yeah, I was absolutely loving it. I'm, I'm sure you can imagine when, uh, yeah, I would, you know, AJ has obviously been the, the last to, to do the 10 for, but I was definitely cheering him on. I was, I think I sent you a text message immediately as, as Zahid got that wicket, a big boo, you know, this is very disappointing, but, I mean, some of those, some of those wrongings. I mean, you must have just been salivating, Baldy. You know, the one to Stokes, the one to the ones to Crawley, just awesome, awesome to watch. Yeah, he's he's an incredible bowler. I mean, he's got such control to to bring the ball out of the front of the hand like that with a squeeze or a flick, and to have the amount of control that he does. To to, I mean, I mean, he's not bowling four overs here in a T twenty, right? He's bowling 22, 23 overs in the second innings, twenty overs in the first innings. I mean, it's just incredible control to be able to have that, um, to have that level of, of of dexterity to be able to do that ball after ball after ball over after over. So, look, a massively, massively um, impressive debut. And Pakistan in the series, even though they find themselves two nil down, you know, they could have been one nil up at least, have found themselves with a couple of likely cricketers here. They've they've got Abra Ahmed, who I think is a great find now as a, as a long-term replacement potentially for Yasir Shah, who they've been looking for a replacement for for a long time. And now in the middle order, Sol Shaquille looks like a real test cricketer. 63 in the first innings, 94 in the second innings. You know, okay, criticism of him is that he hasn't gone on and played a match-winning innings batting at number four for Pakistan, but so have the rest of their players in that in that lineup as well. You know, they've they've done the classic Pakistan thing and and uh, rolled themselves on a good wicket to be to be dismissed for a, a subpar score. But you know, he's got an average of sixty seven and a half now with three fifties from his first four Test bats. So Shaquille, I think I think he's a real find. Oh, absolutely! And it, I, look, I'm going to be delighted to see. Well, I might not be delighted to see Abra bowl against New Zealand in, in these couple of tests that are. That are coming up, and um, look, we want we do want to talk about it a little bit. I mean, the squad's going to be named tomorrow at five a.m. New Zealand time. So by the time people listen to this podcast, the squad will be announced. But you know, probably what I I'm keen to talk through, even just our own sort of thoughts. But I guess even before I do that, Raj, I'm keen to hear what you actually expect from New Zealand on this tour. We've seen a bit of Pakistan in in terms of these two tests. We've seen, you know, Baldy, you mentioned that they, they could have easily won, I guess, both of these tests at, at various points, but also they've been hit by injury at, at times. You know, their seam attack's been, you know, just not having Shaheen Shah Freddy is a huge, huge loss for them. New Zealand has struggled a little bit recently in, in tests, given that we've, you know, our home summer, 
1-1 against Bangladesh and South Africa. Went over to England. Obviously, we don't need to talk too much about what happened over there. Raj, are you giving us much chance in this series? I'm giving us plenty of chance. We're the reigning World Test champions, um, you'll find. Oh, good, good. The two two sort of points I'm really looking for is, is first innings runs from, from our top order especially, that top four, uh, five as well. I'm not sure who will bat at five. Do we do we have any ideas around that? Oh, it's got to be Mitchell, doesn't I it? I think so, be probably. Uh, but the top four is, is kind of those are the more established guys. I want to see those guys score runs, especially if Will Young gets a go. Um, I do want to see him score runs as well. And then the other one is we've got to find a replacement for Bolt because I assume he's not going on this tour. Um, it'll be yeah. interesting to see what happens there with that. But, yeah, I, I give us a, a plenty of chance to win uh, these one, if not two, of these two games going going on shortly. My biggest concern is around how flat the wickets will be. Uh, these two results, especially that first test result um, with England and Pakistan, is actually, I feel, a bit artificial uh, in that because they, there was so much time pumped back into that game, uh, England was able to salvage a result. But I think most people were talking about that being a draw, you know, two, two three days out um, from, from the end. So, um, yeah, I do want to see first innings runs, and, and we've got to find some replacement there for Bolt with those tw- – we've got to take 20 wickets. I think oh, one of the key, I think one of the key benefits that you guys will have is you'll have seen a couple of these decks, won't you? And you've, you'll have seen the way that an opposition have approached the cricket. So I think you're playing Karachi the first game, I think, um, and then Multan, uh, where I'd imagine the conditions are going to be relatively similar in terms of the way the light sort of just you know disappears off the cliff a little bit, and you've got the smog in the morning and visibility issues and all that kind of stuff. So. Um, I think you'll know how to kind of approach that. Raj, I'm glad you're still clinging to that World Test Championship, Mace. I'm pretty sure mathematically, unless four or five sides declare from Test cricket, you've got no chance of making the final a second time round. Um, we'll, we'll, so, yeah. we'll, we'll cling to the current Mace the way absolutely. you guys cling Take to the, the 2019 World Cup, all right? Yeah, I, I look, absolutely. Until the next one, you, you, you absolutely have to. So um, the benefit for us, of course, is you know we get to hold on to that T21 a little bit longer after that as well. Um, but yeah, um, ECB's problems of a bigger trophy cabinet, probably the only thing we need to worry about at the moment by the sounds of things. Let, let's get back to New Zealand for a second, because I do think uh, the, the stuff you talked about before, Raj, is is quite interesting. I mean, I said to Binksy last week that, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's any chance New Zealand would have manufactured a dr- uh, win from that first test. I, I think that game would have easily just petered out to a draw the way that New Zealand's playing the cricket, and that's not necessarily a, a criticism on New Zealand. It's just a, I think, a big, you know, positive for the way that England's going about things. I don't think, yeah, I don't think any sides around the world would have would have managed to get that apart from the way this England side is going. But it is going to be really interesting to see the type of the type of cricket we play and and the balance of the side. I, I think if you you know you look back at the last side against England, and we actually played eight eight sort of batters, I guess if you want to class Bracewell down as a batter we sort of had Latham Young Williamson Conway Nichols actually batted at five in that game if you remember Mitchell batted at six Blundell seven Bracewell eight and I, I wonder if they you know wonder if they are considering something like that just really stacking the batting I would be more the opposite in that what you were saying is that we have to take 20 wickets and how we go about that is going to be really interesting I think you know We've just seen over overnight that Blair Tickner's been removed from the CD squad for uh, their game tomorrow, New Zealand time. So that's Thursday. So I imagine that means he's on the plane. And I wonder if, uh, you know, you talked about Bolt not being there. I wonder if Tickner's actually over there as, well, obviously he's got a New Zealand contract. So he's, you know, one of the next in line anyway. But Binksy, I, I would be interested to hear your thoughts on the impact that Mark Wood had in this recent test because there's almost so much talk about uh, you know the spinners over there and the work that they have to do but what we've seen in this test this test series so far is that it's been one the smart seam bowlers for England that have made a huge huge difference in terms of uh, Anderson and, and Ollie Robinson and I would say New Zealand's got two good exponents of that in Tim Southey and, and Neil Wagner I had a look before Tim Southey's uh, stats in Asia are actually better than they are at home and in England. They're better than his career average. He's got 13, 13 tests at about uh, 48 wickets at about 25, I think. Neil Wagner's stats in Asia, uh, only five tests to be fair, but again, really, really good numbers, better than his career numbers. So 
I think we've got two really smart bowlers there, but we don't really have that out-and-out pace. You, I, I think Matt Henry will probably be the one that gets that first opportunity, but maybe Tickner is over there to try and play that Wood role. So I'd be interested to hear, Binksy, again, what you, yeah, what, what role did Wood actually have in that test? Yeah, so, so look, I think that the, the key thing really with the way I think England used their seamers and Wood in that, um, in that game was it was almost the reverse of what you'd expect. You know, when England took a new cricket ball, they gave it to Jack Leach and um, maybe a seamer just to see if they could extract that literally first couple of overs and get a nick. But after that, they, they moved pretty quickly to spin um, with a view of trying to get the ball into the state where it was going to reverse. And um, so I think New Zealand have probably got to be pretty brave with their plans if they're going to um, try and you know take anything from looking at the way and, and that the team has approached those wickets. And look, you're dead right. I think Saudi plays a really important role from that perspective. Um, but I think he's probably got to um, expect not necessarily to take that new ball um, and perhaps come back on um, if the ball does start to reverse and, and set those very, very straight fields as, as England and Mark Wood did. I think the other thing that you saw Mark Wood do was he bowled, actually, they almost deliberately bowled for caught down the leg side, both him and Jimmy Anderson. You know, they set a leg slip, a leg gully. There was times where they had a leg slip and a leg gully and no conventional slip. So that they weren't even going, do you know what, we've got to be at the races for an outside edge here. They were deliberately bowling with those as, as plans. I guess the question I have, I have for you boys is from a spin perspective, you know, England, to an extent, Jack Leach, okay, did okay. Um, but, you know, net didn't really look massively threatening at any point on, on either of those wickets. Um, and then almost Root was trusted as that second spinner. They felt that Jack just probably bowled a little bit too slow. So I guess my question is, you know, what's that balance? And that, that might be where Bracewell comes in um, because, it, you know, it, it allows you to get that extra batting option in as well. Um, and, and I guess the final thing is, is Lockie no chance to go? Do you not just say, mate, do you not fancy, you might not play both these games, but, you know, we, we might just want to unleash you and bowl you for three, four overs uh, three, four over spells, you know, three in a day, um, and you and you can make it happen. Is that a possibility for New Zealand cricket? I don't know. I I would have loved to seen it. I I think you know, a couple of years ago, probably yes. But I think the fact that he's had so many injuries recently, you know, I I, I don't think they will do it. Um, and and I and I think the fact that Tickner's, well, we're talking like he's in the squad. I, I feel like he is, given the way that um, you know, the the things went down with with the CD squad announcement today. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I completely agree. I think that if you're going to pick someone to do that role, Lockie Ferguson is, is the guy you would want to do it. But, I, I, you know, he just hasn't played first-class cricket for, for so long and hasn't really been able to put, uh, you know, enough consistent games together to probably be in a position to do that. On the spin thing, I think we're certainly going to see Ajaz play at both those two tests. And then it's and and I would yeah I would be very very surprised if Bracewell's just not our number seven. I think he'll bat he'll bat he'll be our all rounder than in the you know the same way that he was in the first tests against England, batting seven, being that second spinner. I think there's a legitimate opportunity to say uh, you know whether it should be Ratch and Ravindra, but probably what counts against him is that he's a left arm spinner as well, and that you know that that's what Ajaz is going to be doing right. So you're going to have your Michael Bracewell at least provides that difference of uh, of spin and that he's an off spinner. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Raj, you wanting to jump in here? Yeah, interesting interesting points there. I think with Lockie uh, or even, even Adam Milne as well, any of those speedsters that we've got, I don't think they're in the same mould as a Mark Wood. If I'm going to unleash them in red ball cricket, I'd want to do it in South Africa or Australia or England, somewhere where they can actually bowl a hard length for three overs and they might create something. I think in the subcontinent, especially the pitches that, that we have seen of, of, of late, I think they're probably... The, the risk factor of an injury is almost too high for, for those those bowlers that we have here. Uh, whereas, you know, the Woods, the Archers, I know Archers have been injured for a while, but they're probably more in that, that mould of being able to bowl, you know, short of a length up around the, uh, you know, around the chest and get some kind of wicket there. I think that's more their style in the subcontinent. 
um, from a spinner point of view, I think AJ surely is just we're going to keep it simple, and he's going to fall into that. He's going to hold one end up, end up, and we are going to bowl our roll through our paces through one end, right? That, that that's something that he has done really successfully for a long time at first class level, um, and I don't see why he can't do that. Uh, you know, in the subcontinent, he's taken wickets doing it before, and he's held up an end and created wickets at the other end uh, doing that as well. So I think they just keep it simple and do something like that. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree. I think they'll they'll go with three seamers, two spinners, and that brace will bat seven. I would I would yeah I would expect that that's the case. And I guess that that probably leaves for the, the you know the interesting parts of, of that squad are going to be the squad players. I suppose there's going to be yeah I would expect that there'll be another seamer, and and it's you know Henry and Tickner are probably those other two seamers fighting for that that third spot. You're going to have you know, I would expect Ratchan Ravindra goes on the tour just to be an, an, you know a, another squad player, and then you you know you're looking at um, Henry Nichols is probably still your backup batter. I, I'd personally like to see Glenn Phillips go over there because I think he gives us well one I think he's earned that the way he's played his cricket in the last twelve months. I think he's you know shown that he can do the business against. I, I don't see any reason why he couldn't go. You know well, you wouldn't back him to score runs in, in Pakistan on those pitches. And, you know, then it's just, a, you know, they might decide to actually take both of them because, uh, yeah, it's sort of a toss-up between the last the last spot, whether it's another batter or uh, or another seamer. And if it's a seamer, maybe Duffy goes, yeah, it's interesting. Interesting final few spots. But realistically, they're probably just playing for, for bench spots, really. Should we take a trip across the Tasman? Baldy, let's do it. Baldy, uh, look, I, I guess uh, you've missed a little bit of uh, podcast. Podcast is that what this is called? Yeah, it is podcast content. Um, the last couple of weeks with uh, with illness and whatnot, and um, we have you know said we were delighted not to have you on the pod to talk about uh, Marnus and Steve's partnership in that first test match. But um, look, you can only beat the team that's put out in front of you, and you know. It's certainly that second West Indian innings all out for 77 was a pretty meek, um, yeah, meek affair from them. And I think, you know, I'm sure they're spending a little bit of time looking at what they need to do to really get themselves back competitive in test cricket. But you can only beat mm. the opposition that's out there. And boy, you've done a pretty good job over this uh, test matches as a tune-up for that uh, arguably bigger series against South Africa over the Christmas New Year period. Yeah, three out of our... Three out of our top six have really cashed in, haven't they? And, and they've scored big um, in in this series. I mean, Smith's duck in the first innings in the second test, notwithstanding, uh, he and uh, Manus Loose Bus Change and Travis Head have had an absolute whale of a series against against what really is a, a, an undermanned and underperforming West Indian attack. Let's let's face it, right? They they've had lots of injuries um, to their preferred first eleven, um, and they've had in-game injuries that have crawled their chances even further. Um, but like you say, Adam, you can only make runs against against the, the the bowling attack that you're that you're facing. And and Manus has done an absolutely superb job again in this Test match. 100 and what 63 in the first innings. Travis had uh, Test best score of 175. Um, Head backed it up again in the second innings when Australia were were hitting out going for for quick runs as well. And all of those Australians in the second innings really sacrificed their wicket um, to to go for those quick runs to set up that declaration. So there's there's really nothing not to like from that Australian performance. I think if we were going to be um, if we were going to be critical, Cameron Green missed out. He looked very, very uncomfortable in the first innings. Um, could just be pad rash. I mean he's had the he's had the pads on for about seven hundred runs before he was able to come in um, and ha- and finally have a bat in the series. It might actually be more than that. Um, it could be more than seven hundred that he was sitting there with the pads on for. Uh, but he looked he looked definitely uncomfortable in that first innings, and then yeah, just put one straight up in the air, going for quick runs in the second innings. Did the right thing for the team, but didn't do his uh, his form any favours. Um, the the one to really watch is is David Warner. Kawaja again, Kawaja like gets to fifty, gets to sixty, does the job at the top of the order again. If we were being hypercritical, he didn't go on and, and get a big score in this series, um, but did a lot of the hard work up front. David Warner is going to be tested severely against South Africa. We saw him struggle a little bit against Elzari Joseph. In fact, Elzari Joseph gave uh, most of the Australian players, even uh, Smith and Labuschagne, who were in great form, he gave them some some things to think about. 
Um, and I absolutely guarantee that Onrik Norkia will be will be licking his lips at the thought of bowling around the wicket to, to David Warner in this upcoming test match against um, Australia at the Gabba. So there's, there's work-ons for this Australian side. Um, they were very, very good. Uh, we've unearthed, I think, a, a player for the future in Scott Boland. Uh, he looks like he could be a good player uh, for Australia moving forward. So put him in your little black book. Um, can I um, can I just really in, interject here, Baldy? Yeah, uh, your, you can, your, your, please. Your diatribe here, and uh, I was on a roll. I, I, I want to put the eye of Sauron actually on Manus Labashain. Um, and you know, I want you guys to be super critical on me about this, but I'm going to say that I actually don't believe that he's as good as he is playing at the moment. Um, I, I, I've gained, I've had a lot of criticism aimed towards me for this. Um, for this stance, but I actually I I feel like the South African series is gonna gonna go gonna show us some things around how good he actually is. But I have actually gone and done some stats just on 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 Manus Labuschagne and how he has been performing because uh, I feel like a lot of his runs come against maybe those weaker teams. So eight of his ten hundreds so far uh, have been against New Zealand. So that so New Zealand in that two thousand and nineteen tour that was horrible. Um, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, and, and three against the West Indies. So that, that's eight out of his 10 hundreds. And mm. 90% of his hundreds, so if you've done your maths there, that's nine out of his 10 hundreds have actually been at home. And then mm. when we also look at his away versus home sort of stats, he scored about 3,000 runs just over. 25% of those have actually only been scored away, including his only three ducks have been away. And he, he averages mm. less than 40 away. Um, look, I, I, I just think that the, he scores a lot of runs at home and he scored a lot of runs against maybe weaker teams who have come to their shores, like the West Indies have, uh, maybe not with their strongest 11s or, you know, how New Zealand was falling apart in that, that 2019 series where by the end of it, they, um, they were just like Tim Burton kind of trees by the, by the end of that series. But I don't know. I, I, what, what do you guys think? Am I being too harsh? I'm kind of with you there, right? I, I think this South Africa series and then England in England will tell us a lot of what we need to know about whether or not Manus's form is real and whether or not his average of 61 or whatever is sustainable or whether his you know, long-term test average is probably going to be closer to somewhere between, I don't know, 48 and 50, for example, say, for the sake of the Which is still pretty good, right? Yes. Which is still excellent, yeah. which is still excellent. He is an excellent cricketer. But is, is he a cricketer that averages 60 like George Headley or... Um, or, or players of that ilk remains to be seen. So I think, you know, he has been found out um, against genuine pace previously. Alzari Joseph troubled him in this test match just gone. And I think uh, the South African seam attack is probably, if not the best, then pretty close to being the best pace attack to be disposed to trouble him for genuine pace and bounce. So I think this, I think you're absolutely right, Raj. There is a real litmus test for Manus Lubbershane here in terms of being able to face genuine pace and cash in when the chips are a lot harder to come by because against some of those uh, not so good teams, he really, really is good at cashing in when he's been given a life or when when there's an opportunity to bat on a really, really good batting track. He doesn't miss out very often in those kinds of circumstances. And you're right, Big Daddy Hundreds, definitely. Just one, one more one more set I'll give for a little bit of balance because I did want to look for some evidence where maybe I was wrong. It doesn't happen often, but it, it can happen. Um, he actually averages over 50. Through four tests, he averages over 50 in England, which is very hard to do uh, in this day and age. So that, that's something that that is sort of on his favour. So look, this South African series is going to be massive for me thinking about him in particular, I want him to see him score some 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 hundreds here. And they don't necessarily have to be big daddy hundreds, but he's got to go on with it. He can't get to 40 and get out like he has previously against some of the better teams. I think you both, you, Baldy, you've never been a, a, Manus, a true Manus believer, um, but uh, I think you're being a, a little bit harsh. You know, trying to judge him against George Headley is, uh, is a bit rough for someone who's Who's uh yeah certainly certainly done the business and we, you've rolled off four, four or five teams there that he's performed scored hundred against I think most 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 batters in the world would be pretty happy with that but I I, I want to I know we will circle back around to to David Warner often Australian conversations always do but I want to pick up on a couple of your points about the West Indies before pretty much you know obviously this wasn't a great showing for the West Indies and look unfortunately for the West Indies if they even care. This is the series that I paid the least attention to other than jumping in and out of it, you know, occasionally to see what Smithy had to say on commentary and uh, watch Chanderpool Jr. bat. But, you know, really, 
I think that the people need to chill out with all the things that they've come out with these huge hot takes about West Indies losing test status and, and all this stuff that have, has come out afterwards, right? Because honestly, how many strong sides go to Australia and just take an absolute hammering in their conditions? Raj just mentioned it before, you know, about New Zealand. We, we were got, went over there with huge high hopes and then we just got absolutely drilled and then we went over there and uh, and then, you know, followed that up by winning the World Test Championship. So I just think people need to, to calm down, really. I mean, the West Indies have... Obviously, they're not at their best at the moment. They, but, you know, they're the last team to beat England. They beat them at home. I think, you know, I haven't actually fact-checked this, but they beat Bangladesh from memory as well, who are obviously not a powerhouse at Test Cricket as well. But, look, I, I think this whole, like, everyone is inferior to us because Australia's just dominating everyone at home, I think that needs to relax a little bit. Yeah, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's quite as bad as West Indies losing their Test cricket status. But if you have a look at their batting lineup in particular, right, and it's their batting that will come in for the most criticism as in this in this series. Because if you have a look at sort of three, four, five, six, seven, eight for the West Indies, there's a lot of sameness about all of those players. They're all players that you would expect over their Test career to average low forties, right? as a as a as an upside, right? So Brooks, Blackwood, Devin Thomas, Jason Holder, De Silva and Roston Chase are their three through eight. Five of those are probably number six, number seven batters if we're being like if we're evaluating them against against test standard players. So I think there is still room for West Indies to grow, particularly if they can find a a really solid number three, number four that can average forty five plus, right? In Test cricket. Tajnarine Chanderpool is an absolute dyed-in-the-wool, ready-made test cricketer two days into his test career, two matches into his test career. He is, alongside Craig Brathwaite, after a week and a half, one of the senior players in that West Indies side. And, 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 and that's the criticism, right? That's the criticism of this West Indies team, is that a young guy who's only played one test um, all of a sudden looks like one of the, one of the senior players. And that's, that's the unfortunate part. If you have a look at um, six through eight for the West Indies, Holder, De Silva, Roston, Chase. Now, Roston, Chase is a bit of an odd one in, there, in that order. But that's a reasonable six, seven, eight if you have a look at their averages. But, but Brooks, Blackwood and Devin Thomas, one of those guys needs to be averaging 45 plus or two of them needs to be averaging 45 plus in test cricket if the West Indies are going to be super competitive in all conditions. And that's the real challenge that they've got. They've got an absolute um, superstar in the making in terms of their um, in terms of their attack in Elzari Joseph. I think he's absolutely absolutely box office. Um, they need to find a couple more fit supporting cast members to go around him. I think Jaden Seals is going to be an excellent fast bowler for the West Indies, and if they can find someone to replace uh, Kemar Roach as he moves towards retirement, then their bowling is 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 fine. But it's just that it's just that three four in their batting, and that's where they really struggle, and they have for a long, long time. I do think uh, you're 100 percent right with um, Chander Paul. I watched a, a lot of him bat actually, and he looks the goods. I think he'll be around for a while, um, and that's a really a really good cornerstone to build on. I'm um, going forward. Roston Chase, I don't believe in. I think they've got a number of good young spinners uh, in the likes of uh, Hayden Walsh Jr. and Kevin Sinclair, and even Fabi Allen. Fabian Allen does well on away tours, from what I've what I've heard. Um, <laughs> but look, I think that they have the sort of elements there to be a very very good team. But you're right that engine room is probably missing uh, a little bit of runs there. You know, the guys who you can rely on put up those 50s and 60s. Uh, just one other thing I was going to say about um, the West Indies is I thought that Anderson Phillip was actually a really bright spark as well. Uh, his first-class numbers are pretty good with the ball, averaging low to mid-20s with the ball, and he can definitely bat. So he can he can be a thorn in the side uh, in that lower order. So I think he's actually really uh, exciting to watch as well. Boys, we, we've gone... Uh, we Binksy, Binksy called it right in that we're, we're going a, a very long time. We, we've but surely someone wants to say something about Warner. Raj, you you must have plenty of thoughts on on this uh, leadership issue that's going on. Uh, hey, we've got to we've got to ease into this, right? We've got to ease into this. So um, there's a couple of controversial things, right? And um, Baldy, whilst you get revved up for this, let's talk about Steve Smith Smith's hat, and and then that and then let's let's move into to Warner because I think we've got to warm up. So. 
Should he get his baggy green repaired, yes or no? Particularly if he's going to take the captaincy armband um, at some point. Yes. Just get the brim fixed. He doesn't have to replace the whole hat. Just get a little bit of felt, put it on the front, and get on with it. Isn't that a badge of honour, you know, having that split cap? Yeah, Steve Waugh got his repaired. That's good enough for me. Should we talk about the real issue? (laughs) We're back at Warner now, are we? We're Um, back at Warner. Can I I open, and I'll make this really, really brief. Um, I actually feel for him. And I think his statement that came out was um, clearly not written by him. Um, you know, I, th- I think someone helped him with some of the words. Um, but the sentiment of it, I actually really feel for him because it sounds as if there's a hell of a lot going on and there's a lot of um, covering of, of, of arses in that um, Australian cricket boardroom. Um, and his, uh, his autobiography is going to be crackerjack. And that's all I've got to yeah. say on it. I really feel for him. And it takes a lot for me to say that about a bloke that I, you know, really do 99% of the time really dislike. Um, yeah, uh, look, I, I can't I can't disagree with that. Well, what he said in that statement or, you know, the written statement uh, about his family and stuff being dragged through all that again, like I 100% agree with, with him on that. It, you know, I have said this before on the podcast that I feel that the punishments and everything that happened at that time, sandpaper gate time, were a bit over the top in my for, for my in my opinion for me. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the whole thing about having to rehash that and open that up, uh, it, it's it's it was never going to go that way. And look, I, I actually have no problem with someone going, you cannot be captain. You know, you've done something wrong. You will let you play. You can be a leader, but you just don't have to have the C on your, you know, the, the armband on you. That's fine. And I just feel like someone needed to say that, and it hasn't been said. Um, I, I I, probably have a – there's probably a little bit to unpack around Steve Smith being allowed to captain again, especially as he is the he was the leader for when that – unfortunately went down and and I think he carries a lot of that responsibility whether he knew about it or not he should have known about it he was the leader um yeah I I I agree with you Binksy I feel for David Warner I think he's been used as a scapegoat more than um, more than the others who who are around at that time yeah I think the really disappointing thing from my point of view sorry I'm just going to jump in here Stuart is that the the review of his leadership whether or not he deserved one or whether or not you want one um as a fan is is not the is not the point of issue, and I think that where we where we have empathy for David Warner is that he was um, invited to apply for a review of his leadership status under the auspices that it would be a private hearing of whether or not he has you know to use inverted commas rehabilitated and is fit to lead again. It wasn't a rehashing or a relitigation of the events of of four years ago. And that's what, it, by the sound of it, that's what it was going to be. It was going to be a public relitigation of what happened four years ago, not whether or not he has now said, okay, yes, I understand. I've learned for him. I'm very remorseful. I'm ready to lead the cricket team again. This is how I'm seeing all those other things that would establish his fitness for leadership now, four years later. So that that's the that's the problem with this incident, right, is that, that the review committee have – have invited him to go into that process under one set of circumstances. And then for whatever reason, whether it was their own committee view or whether it was guided by cricket Australia, we don't really know, but that has quite clearly changed. And I wouldn't want to go through a public rehashing of an event like that four years later and drag my family through it. I don't know anyone who would want to go through that again for any outcome um, so I'm not surprised that he withdrew and, and I fully support and I fully understand why he, why he withdrew from that process. And, you know, to have his, to have his wife and children abused by spectators at the Adelaide Oval as they're walking to and from different parts of the stadium, that's, that's just not on right uh, under any circumstances. So, you know, there is, there is a, there is a sentiment or an under, under, undertow of, um, some elements of society and some elements maybe even of the cricket hierarchy that still don't believe that David Warner is fit to lead a cricket team. Um, with, an, with Like you say, Raj, with the captaincy next to his name, right? He is still a leader of that cricket team um, and is still massively influential around the way they go about their cricket. And we'll see this in the South Africa series, right? It won't take very long before South Africa punch Australia in the mouth, either physically with the cricket ball or, or verbally. And... 
it will it, you, you will see David Warner come back to the fore, right? He will be the same combative, um, chirpy, in-your-face kind of fella that Australian cricket have been used to seeing for the last 10 years. And we probably need against South Africa to compete with them if they're going to come at us hard from a verbal perspective. So Australia need him, but I think there are members of the cricket community that don't want him there with the leadership next to his name, the C or the VC. I feel like, Binksy, you're going to have to wrap us up soon because uh, otherwise I'm going to start squeezing in my the Ford Trophy uh, stuff that I've had on the, the run sheet for, for about what the last that, three or four mate, weeks. I, but... think, I think your internet's dying <laughs> out. Um, but, guys, uh, look, the... The last thing I did want to just say is, uh, you know, who would have thought we'd uh, we'd have unanimous sympathy for for David Warner? That's probably the biggest surprise on this podcast, but I I, I have to agree, and I am I'm you know hugely looking forward to this South Africa series. I think it'll be a, a real a chance to be a real cracker with that South African bowling attack. And um, yeah, I guess last last thing I want to say is a, a bit of a plug for for the chat that I had with Cam Fletcher that'll hopefully be coming out in your your podcast feed. Pretty soon, uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed catching up with with Cam, and and hopefully you'll get a bit of domestic cricket fix in in, uh, in that episode. Well, boys, on the bombshell that we've unanimously agreed on something, I think when we started the podcast, we said when that happened, it would be time to wrap it up for good. So you've listened to the last this week in cricket that you'll ever hear on the Top Order podcast. Um, but as Lippy mentioned, you will hear an interview with Cam Fletcher, which will be our final uh, swan song. Jokes aside there, we will be back uh, next week. There's plenty of cricket going on all around the world, as Baldy alluded to earlier on. Uh, South Africa arrived. I think that test match kicks off Saturday. Um, England, I think, kick off Saturday in their final test in Karachi against Pakistan. Um, and the big bash um, with its 194 game season um, has also kicked off as well last night the Thunder versus the Stars so that's on your TV all over Christmas as well so we've got plenty and plenty to talk about but for now it is good night and good bless from us all here in Auckland um, we'll see you all soon good night